The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you're uh, new here, let me welcome you to LifePoint Church. My name's Eric. Uh, I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and we've been going through uh, the book of Hebrews. This is week number 18, if you can believe that or not. And so we've been, uh, had a break for Christmas, had a break for Easter, had a break for here and there, but we're going to wrap it up in the next couple of weeks. So if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 today. I hope uh, that you are really, really excited as I am about that. So when I was a kid and you wanted to watch a movie that had already come through the theaters, what you had to do is you had to wait for it to come out on HBO. I know you guys have no idea what that is, all right? Uh, but HBO was the channel that you had if you had cable and the movies would be released later after they got out of the theaters and you could watch it on that. Now, if you didn't have cable like myself, you actually had to wait for it to come on national TV, like, you know, channel four or five or something like that. Uh, and then you could watch it again, but you had to watch it uh, with commercials and things like that. And then right after that period of time, uh, they came out with this thing called the VCR. How many of you know the VCR? All right, the VCR is found in garage sales, thrift stores, junkyards, and museums, so you can maybe go and check that out. So a VCR was basically this little box, uh, and then you had this, what, what was called a VHS tape, and you would feed the little thing, and it would like eat it up, and it would take it all the way in the little machine, it would sit in, and you could, you could play a movie, you could actually record things on it. And so what we did is we would, we would have VHS movies of movies that we really, really liked. So when I was was about uh, junior high age, probably 14 or 15, uh, we had a, a massive amount of VHS movies, whether they were recorded off uh, a TV or whether we bought them at the store. You guys remember recording those things off TV? Okay, four of you. Great. We're really young here. All right, so you would record it and you'd fast forward. So well, I had, we had a bunch of VHS tapes, uh, and one that I had that I really watched a lot, one of my favorite movies, was Rocky Four. You can judge me, all right? I loved, I loved Rocky IV. I loved all the Rocky movies, but really Rocky IV. I probably watched Rocky IV a hundred times when I was in middle school, right? And so um, this is what would happen. I've, I've watched it so many times that what I would do is I would put in Rocky IV. I loved it because it was only like an hour and 20 minutes. It was a short one. Uh, and, and so I would actually get it down to about 30, 35 minutes. I could watch Rocky IV every day. And this is how I did it. I would put in the tape uh, and I would watch the opening, uh, opening scene with, uh, with, with Rocky and Apollo Creed, right? They just uh, finished their bout with Mr. T, right? And they're like training together now. And they're, you know, I love watching Apollo, you know, he's dancing and they're like all talking trash to each other. Like, oh, you would only beat me by one second, right? And, and they have this little this little fight at the beginning it's really great uh, and then what I would do is I would fast forward I would fast forward to the part where Apollo Creed decides to fight uh, the Russian Ivan Drago all right, Ivan Drago comes to America, right? They set up this fight, exhibition bout, right? It's only an exhibition, right? And they have this exhibition bout, and they, and they go at it. And, and, and I love it because Apollo Creed was out there, and I'm like, stop, stop. Like, he's hitting this guy, and, the, and, and Drago's just like, what? <laughs> right? He's not even hurting him. Until finally, I mean, uh, you know, one of his coaches yells something in Russian, and then he just knocks him out and kills him. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Rocky Four, 
Palancre dies in it. All right, anyway. I mean, it literally kills him. Punches him, falls down, dead. Now, now the drama hits, right? Because, oh, no, you didn't, right? Uh, and so now uh, you, you've got to fast forward again if you want to get through the drama. So I would fast forward again. I would get to the scene where, where Rocky actually decides to fight Drago. And then he's having all these flashbacks. Everyone's telling him, no, don't do it. It's suicide. No, don't do it. And, and he's like hyping himself up. He's driving his Lamborghini, right? The music's pumping. I'm like, watch that scene. And then I just simply fast forward again to the end where he's training, right? And he's out there. He lands in the Soviet Union. He lands around. I mean, there's snow everywhere. Like, he's running in the snow. Like, he's chopping wood. He's in the barn. Right? You know, you, have you seen this movie? Right? You're with me, right? This thing's awesome. He's like, right? He's getting all bulked up. And then I just fast forward to the end fight, and I watch the end fight where Rocky wins. And then all, all the Soviet Union is like, yeah, we love you, Rocky. Right? And, it, and it's great. Listen, I love that movie, and I loved... Uh, the fight scenes, because it really, it really kind of fired me up, right? I don't know if you've seen it in a while, but it, it will fire you up. Watch the movie, right? And so I, 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 it would fire me up. It would make me want to go out and, like, chop wood or something, like do some Mensa, right? I'm, like, looking anywhere for an axe. Give me something to beat, right? And I want to run up a mountain at this point. So it, it would really, really fire me up. I was ready to take on the world. And, and I realized uh, that when it comes to things like preaching through the Bible, we do the same thing, right? We, we get to things that we really love and like, oh, fast forward. I love this verse. There's this one verse right here, and you just kind of fast forward through it, and you get to the verse, and you love it, and you read it, and you're like, oh, and you're ready to go chop some wood, right? But, but what happens is when you pierce your books of the Bible, like, you can't dodge the drama, like, remember when we started this book and be like, hey, we're going to preach through the book of Hebrews, and then all of a sudden we get to chapter 12, and like, just kidding, we're not going to finish it? No, we have to get through some of the hard parts. And here's the deal. Hebrews 12 is unbelievably difficult. But here's what I know. If you don't go through the hard stuff, if you don't go through the drama, you don't know the whole story. I mean, if you don't understand what's going on, you can, you can take snippets and just feel like, okay, those are two guys just punching each other. But really, there's a backstory. Like, there's, there's weight, there's depth, there's emotion, there's perseverance, there's triumph against all odds. And Hebrews 12, listen, it's weighty and it's God. Are you with me on this? Like, we believe that this is the word of God. This is absolutely true. All right? And so we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Hebrews chapter 12. And let me give you some background, all right, so to catch you up. If you remember when we first started the book, we remember that the book was written to uh, Jewish Christians. So people who were stuck in this religious law, tabernacle, sacrificial system who now have become Christians and now are following Jesus. And, and what happens is in chapter 12, uh, they start to get culturally attacked, all right, chapter 10, it says in chapter 10 that they were being put into prison, they were being persecuted, uh, they were having their stuff stolen from them, that's the end of chapter 10, and then chapter 11 says, no, 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 listen, faith perseveres, faith perseveres through it all, here's, here's stories of faith, 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 faith perseveres, so whether you're victorious or whether you're being thrown into prison, fix your eyes on Christ. But now in chapter 12, he's going to actually address their suffering. 
All right, they're, he's going to address what's going on in their lives. And here's the deal, is, is what he says for us about suffering is really off most of our radars. What he's about to say is really off the map for most of us, and we don't even think or understand this concept when it comes to suffering. And so you're looking at me like I'm, I'm, I'm losing it, but let's go, right? All right, here we go. Uh, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, consider him. Who's the him there? You can say that here. That's Jesus. That's right. Okay. Uh, the reason why we know it's Jesus is because in verse 2, he says, look to Jesus. Right? Uh, okay. So uh, it's, he's talking about Jesus. He says, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So he says, I want you, I want you to consider Christ. I want you to consider his suffering. You see, Jesus endured the ultimate suffering. He says, listen, I know you're suffering. I know things are going bad, but consider Jesus. He says, consider that he went through the same hostility that you're enduring. Jesus himself endured. You're with me on that. So why should we consider Jesus? In the midst of our suffering, why consider Jesus? Look at what it says. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that, say so that. So that you may not grow weary. Say grow weary. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Say lose heart. He says, listen, I'm telling you this so that you can consider Jesus in your suffering so that you won't grow weary in it and you won't lose heart. You won't be faint hearted. Listen, have you ever wanted to give up? Duh, yeah, I have. Have you, ever, have you ever been to the point where you're so weary or so tired that, that you're just asking yourself the question, man, I, honestly, I don't know how much of this I can take. Some of you, some of you are in it right now, and, and here's the encouragement to you in one verse. It's just consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Now, now I think we've all been there, Right? But we have to see this verse in light of the context because he's not talking about weariness or faint-heartedness because you don't sleep well. He doesn't say weariness or faint-heartedness because uh, you overwork yourself. He's talking about a, a different type of suffering, a different type of weariness, a, a different type of losing heart that comes actually from sin. Look at what it says. He says, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now, here's what he's saying. He says, I know you're weary. I know you're struggling. I know you're growing faint. I know it's difficult for you right now, but you have not resisted to the point that Christ resisted and was killed. He's saying, I know you're going through it right now, but you're not dead. You, you haven't resisted to the point of death. You haven't died. Now, now I'm going to ask you a question right here that's going to really shake this thing up. All right? Whose sin are they struggling against? It's not theirs. It's the sin of... Consider Jesus when you face hostility. 
The same hostility that Jesus receives. See, there's a comparison there between your receiving suffering and hostility and Jesus receiving hostility, and Jesus never sinned, so he wasn't struggling against his own sin. He was struggling against the sin of others against him. And so he says, consider, don't grow weary. Don't grow faint. Don't, this is not about self-mortification. This is not about that. This is about you enduring when you are placed under the weight that, other, that results from other people's sin. Now, he says, you've not in your struggle against sin resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Now, here's where it's going to get crazy for us. Right? This is where it's going to get really hard. Look, look at what it says. You have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Say sons. See, see, when we become Christians, when we put our lives in the hands of Christ by faith, when we trust him, we become sons and daughters of God. Listen to what it says happens to sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This word discipline, it means training. Like Rocky. It, it, means, it means training. He says this. He says, so don't disregard the training of the Lord. Don't take lightly the discipline of the Lord. Because what happens is he disciplines, he trains every son. Did you see the word every? That means every. He disciplines, he trains every son, and he disciplines those whom he loves. So he starts out by saying, hey, don't disregard the training of God, the discipline of God, because that means you are a child of God. Now, this is where it's going to go crazy for us, because what just happened is the scriptures said that the sinful acts of others against us have been pressed onto us as believers, and that pressing, that suffering, ultimately came from who? God. God did that. Now, I know we don't like to talk about that. We don't even like to think about that. Because I thought God loved me. Like most people don't have a theology that can really handle suffering. But this, what this just said is the violent aggression of other, other people toward believers. God says, that came from me and I'm doing that. Nobody wants to talk about how, how God actually put Jesus on the cross. Acts 4, Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to crush him. Like, like that suffering is, is hard for us because we say, we say, okay, if that's from God, what in the world? I mean, you ever read that and be like, what's going on? Like, what's the point? Why would God allow that to happen? Well, the good thing about the scriptures is that it answers it for us, okay? This is, this is it. Look, look in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure you see, it is for training. It's because God's doing something, 
and, and God's children have to endure. Say endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. He's treating you as children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us as we respected them. Shall not much more subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines, he disciplines us for our good. Say our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Yeah, rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those whom have been trained by it. God is making sure that his children endure. That's what he's doing He's making sure that you understand you're not illegitimate children. You're not orphans. You do have a father who loves you and who is about your good, and he's pressing on you so that you would endure. Now, hear me, because I think one of the most horrible things that has been placed on us is this idea that if you know Jesus, you're always going to be all right. That is a lie. That if you just simply know Jesus, then everything's going to go great for you. You know, if you know Jesus, you should always have a smile. Everything always should be great, even when they're not. And scripture says, when God trains, when he disciplines, it's not pleasant. He says, it's going to be painful. So listen to me. You don't have to pretend that you're all right if you're not all right. You with me on that? Because the Bible says you're not going to like things. Things are going to come in your life, and it's going to be difficult. So listen, if you're not all right, the worst thing you can do is pretend. Because then no one knows how to encourage you. No one knows when they should come alongside of you and encourage you with the word, with the spirit. Then no one knows that you're hurting if you're just simply pretending all the time. Have you ever, have you ever seen uh, the, a cheerleading squad or, uh, or a spirit squad uh, uh, come out and do a cheer when they're, when they're getting crushed by the other team? Right? Like it's halftime and your team's down 180 points and they come out. You know, smiles and spirit sprinkles. V-I-C-T-O-R-I, give me victory, victory. You can do it. Yes, you can. You can do it. Every time I see that, I think you are an idiot. I don't say it. I just think it, okay? Forgive me, Lord. I just think, you must not know how this thing works. Because the scoreboard said, there ain't no victory today, bro. <laughs> like, you are getting smashed. Listen, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't blame the cheer squad or the spirit squad, whatever, right? They're just doing what they were told to do. Just go do it. Listen, so many Christians 
have been told, have been taught. Are you getting crushed? Oh, it don't matter. Just go out there and put out a smile and spirit sprinkle your way and tell everyone that everything is all good. Listen, just pretend you're winning. Just pretend the game is going your way. Just pretend that everything's going to be fine. Listen, Jesus loved honest people. You with me on that? Like people who are so honest came to the Lord, like they couldn't even speak to him. All they could do is fall at his feet and sob. And the Bible promises us that, 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 that the broken and the contrite spirit, it says that he will not despise them. He actually invites them to come. Are you weary? Are you crushed? Are you, are you heavy laden? Come on. Come to me. Come to me. Find rest. No, 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 Lord. I'm okay. No, he, he says a broken and a contrite spirit he does not despise. But the Christian culture normally teaches us that if we're good, that God will bless us. And if we obey, and if we do good, and we live right, then everything will go our way. Like if you go to church, and you live right, right, you'll get blessed by God. I mean, you'll get, you, you'll get roses and rainbows all the days of your life. Now, now here's the problem with that. You, you want to know the irony behind that thought? Life. I mean, life absolutely calls that a lie. You know, if you just love Jesus, if you go to church, if you live right, if you do the things and you walk the line and you walk it tight, like everything's going to be blessed for you. Your marriage is going to be great. Your bank account's going to be full, right? You're going to have friends and likes and all those things. Listen, life says that's a lie. That's not true. It's very ironic that, that they were still teaching that way so many times in churches. Right, And so, so the problem comes, if you believe that, the problem comes when, when, when life just kind of hits you with this, with this John Cena five-knuckle shuffle, right? And you're laid out on the mat. And you're like, what in the world? And what happens is that we don't have a theology because we just skip fast forward through the hard parts to get to the good parts. We don't have a theology that can handle the fact that we're laying down on the mat and the ref is counting. We don't know what to do with that. And what happens is we'll grow weary or we'll grow faint-hearted and we'll throw in the towel. And what most people believe is that when difficulties happen, when pain happens, that God is disappointed with you. That God is angry with you. And, 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 and if things aren't going my way, then I must be under God's wrath. I mean, why else would I lose my job? God's not angry. I mean, why else are these things happening? Isn't God frustrated with me? I mean, he must be. That's why I'm struggling, right? And do you know what, do you know what our knee-jerk instinct is when it comes to suffering and we don't know biblically how to handle it? We run from God. Oh, God must be angry with me. I'm going to avoid God. I'm actually going to go the other way. Or, which is probably just as condemning, listen, we either run from God or we run back to the sacrificial tabernacle system and we make a deal with God. This ain't going my way, God, so what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? 
Go to church? Okay, I'll go to church. You want me to, you want me to clean myself? You want me to stop? You want, you want me to, you tell me what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll tell you what, God, if I do this, you'll bless me. Like, like, like really, like how many of you made a deal with God if the Blues won the cup? Don't raise your hand. How, how many people, you know, oh God, please, if they would just, if they would just pull this off, I'll, I'll go to church for a month, please. Listen, it's out there. People believe that. That they can barter with God. Like God's like, oh, are you kidding? That's what I, I don't want that from you. I want your heart. I'm doing more than just this thing. Like, like, like we make deals with God and say, okay, this is what I'll do. This is what I'll do. This is what I'll do. And God, you'll bless me. And, and so listen, what happens is when we come to suffering, when we come to pain, we say, well, of course, God must be angry. I got to make a deal. Or if we get blessing, you'll be like, yeah, absolutely, because I'm walking the line. That's why I'm blessed. And, and, and here's the tragedy, you guys. Here's the tragedy is we'll walk around our life and we'll look at others and say, you know what? If you would just walk the line like I walk, you'll actually be more blessed. Actually, if you just did what I did, if you actually made the deal that I made with God, then everything will go better for you. And, and so whether, whether we're experiencing victory, of course I earned it, or whether we're experiencing suffering, well, I must be doing something wrong. We, we don't understand what God really wants to do. Life turns ups and downs. And in the end, God is in control and God is good. Okay, listen, John chapter 1, verse 12, it says that for those who received Jesus, for those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if we are children of God, the Bible says as a child, you will experience discipline. You will experience training. You will experience pressing. And all of that is from a good father who loves you. So listen to me. The Bible tells us, Hebrews 9, it says that, that Christ died. He bore our sins upon him. That Christ was offered up once and for all time, a single sacrifice for those who would believe. Christ bore the punishment for your sin if you would believe and put your faith in him. The Bible says that he was crushed and wounded for our transgressions, that he was, he was chastised for our iniquities. Listen, your sin was placed upon Jesus Christ all of it. So listen to me. It would be wrong then for us to think that the pain that happens to us is God again punishing us a second time. Like the cross of Christ was not enough. The suffering of Christ for us was not adequate to pay for my sin. I now have to pay for my own sin on top of what Christ did. So if we believe that the punishment that we receive, the chastisement, the, the discipline that we receive from God is us paying for our own sin. As a believer, it would dishonor Christ and it would dishonor the cross. But he does train. 
He does discipline. We ought to think that our suffering of Christ, that the suffering of Christ for us, has changed our suffering into something completely different. Just like, just like the death of Christ for us has changed death for us into something completely different. You with me? But like we say now, because Christ died for me, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? There is no more death for me. Though one day I may die if Christ tarries, but I die in the flesh, but my spirit will live eternally with him forever. So death has no sting on me. The death of Christ for us has taken the sting out of death, and the suffering of Christ for us has taken the punishment out of our suffering. You're not being punished. What then is left of discipline? What's the training then? Why the pain? Why the suffering? Why then the difficulty? The answer? Purification. Training. Deepening. Refining. You know, you don't get stronger without any type of training whether that's physical or otherwise. The Bible says, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. God's going, I love you. That's why I'm pressing you. That's why I'm allowing this to happen. And at a greater level, I'm pressing you because it's greater love for you that I press you and I allow you to go through that than me just to leave you alone. Okay. Don't grow weary in your suffering. Don't lose heart. Don't grow faint-hearted. Your suffering is producing something. When, when we understand that the suffering that we receive is actually guided by God as a believer in Christ, listen, we don't believe that that suffering is pointless. We don't believe that it's meaningless. Painful? Yeah, absolutely. But absolutely doing something. You with me on that? It is producing something. The affliction and the sorrow that God will place in your life and mine, it produces. The Bible actually used the word yields. Like a crop yields a harvest. Suffering yields. It produces something. It's not just there to train, but it's there for a purpose. Look, look in verse 10 again. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. That's talking about earthly fathers. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields, say yields, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, I'm going to say something here that I've said before, and some of you will receive it and some of you will reject it, but I pray that God will open your heart and your eyes, your mind to see that it's absolutely true. God is more about your good than you are. He is more about your well-being and your good than you are. Listen, we see so temporary, don't we? 
I mean, we are so finite. We are so small. We are so nearsighted. And God's saying, listen, you can't see what I'm doing. I'm yielding. I'm producing something. He disciplines. He trains for our good so that it would be able to produce a sharing in his holiness. For the moment, it ain't pleasant. It ain't good. But it yields the fruit of righteousness. It yields peace. There's something that will occur in your Christian suffering that brings about the fullness of holiness. It yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. There's something about your suffering, listen, that detaches our love from the temporary things of this world and makes us more and more and more like Christ. Sometimes we grip onto things so tightly No, God, you cannot have this. And he says, I'm taking it. So that you see that this world is full of temporary, unsatisfying things, and you will know that I am eternal, and I am good, and I am about making you holy. That's why he says, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Consider Jesus. Consider the eternal weight of Christ and the glory that is within him so that you will endure. Pain, heartache, sorrow, it's not meaningless. It's not punishment. It has a purpose. And here's the temptation you and I face is when we look at the pain and we look at suffering that we're receiving, we think, What's the point? God, what's the, what's the point? This is worthless. You look at your sickness, you look at your persecution, you grow weary, you lose heart, you give up because you think, man, what's the point of all this? I don't understand it. He says, listen, don't disregard don't disregard the discipline of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4:16, it says, don't lose heart. Your outer self will waste away. Your outer self is wasting away. But your inner self is being renewed every single day, day by day. Your inner self is being renewed. But I don't see it. No, of course you can't see it. Of course you don't understand. Of course it hurts. But don't look to what is seen. Look to what is unseen. Because what is seen is so temporary. But what is unseen, that's eternal. And that's what I'm doing. And it's preparing for you. It's preparing for you glory. It's preparing for you something. It's yielding a piece of righteousness. It's yielding. It's growing something. It's allowing you to share in his holiness. Don't disregard it. Don't grow weary in it. Don't lose heart in it. You endure through it because Jesus is enough. That's what he's doing. Now listen to me because it doesn't say that discipline will be followed by holiness, although that would be sufficient. It doesn't say that discipline will be followed by the peace of righteousness. It actually says that discipline yields it, like it's a seed that is put in the ground. 
And without the seed in the ground, the ground produces nothing. It doesn't say endure, like, like, like when the farmer chops up the soil, just endure that. No, it, it, the seed of suffering, it will produce something. Your struggle produces something. It yields something. Faith, it looks beyond the problem to a promise, and when we look at the promise, we see the person of Jesus Christ. The text says that discipline is not pointless. Your suffering is not pointless. It produces holiness. It produces peace. It produces endurance for our good. So listen, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Is it hard? Yeah. Yeah. Consider Jesus. Consider him in your suffering so that you do not grow weary. Now, I'm going to close this thing, but I got to show you this because it's going to end huge. And it may, it may ruffle you up a little bit if it hasn't already. All right, look in verse 12. It's our favorite word. What's the first word in verse 12? Therefore. therefore. And so when we see the therefore, we've got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? He says, therefore, since you've not been abandoned in pain, since your pain is not meaningless, since the difficulties and suffering and enduring are not random, but they're actually for your peace, for your holiness, for your soul, therefore, since it's not meaningless, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths of your feet. He says, listen, walk in them, walk toward God, walk in obedience. Why? So that... What is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is what God is saying. God is saying, I'm doing something in your life. You may not see it, but it's working. It's producing something. I'm doing something in your life. I'm doing something in your heart. So don't Fight me on it. Don't resist it. Don't dig in your heels. Listen, I'm doing something in your life. I'm doing something in your heart. And it carries a weight of eternity. I'm doing something in you. And I'm going to get you there whether you like it or not. I'm going to get you there even if I have to break your leg. Make straight. Is there any part of you that's not going after obedience? If there's any, any part of you that's not going after the Lord, that's lame. Any part of you that is not make straight? Because if there's no part of you and you're not making it straight, God says, I'm going to make it straight. I got to dislocate that hip. I'm going to do it. I love you that much. I love you that much. You are my child. I will get you there. God's going, listen, I am so serious about your good. I am so serious about getting you into holiness and righteousness. Listen, don't fight me on this. Don't brace yourself. Don't dig in your... You ever had those kids be like, no, I'm not going. What happens? You go. You're just making it harder for you. That's what we do. 
God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Now listen, there are two things that derail us from this process of holiness that God wants us to share. There's two things that derail us from it, right? There's two things that take us off of the path that God is working in us and hinders holiness, hinders our goodness, hinders our peace, working itself out through its souls. Look, look, look at what it says. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Say grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it may become defiled or destroyed. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Here's the two enemies. Here's the two problems to our endurance in the Lord, our eternal holiness with him. Two enemies. The first one is we disregard the discipline of the Lord, and the second is bitterness. Let me say that again. Two obstacles, two hindrances from what God wants to do in the midst of your suffering is one, disregard the discipline of the Lord, and the second one is bitterness. Esau, he came home from the fields starving. His brother made a stew. Esau was the heir to the covenant of God that was promised through Abraham, which the entire world would be blessed through his bloodline. Esau traded what God was doing in him and through him in order to feed his stomach and his own desires. Follow me on that. He traded what God wanted to do in him and through him for a, a bowl of soup. Because he was hungry. Okay. When you use sorrow and difficulty and hardship as a justification to live sinfully, you have disregarded the discipline of God. No, 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 God. It's just easier for us, you know, to live together and sleep together before. It's just easier that way. I mean, it's more comfortable that way. What's the big deal? It's just a bowl of soup. When, when, we, when we justify sin rather than obedience because it's easier and, and, and it leads to less suffering. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to have to pay extra bills. I don't want to have to do other things. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to walk in. I don't want to do that. I want not to suffer. So I'm going to go with the easiest path possible. And you're disregarding what God wants to do in your soul through that suffering. Are you with me? And so what we do is we say, no, no, no. I want what I want And I'm going to lead myself through the path of least resistance. And God says, no, no, don't disregard what I'm doing. I'm pressing on you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. But in the end, it leads to peace and holiness. Don't disregard it. When you justify sin, because it's easier to sin,